topical. I, and I, I don't think there's that much more. We should just topical, just like ointments. <laughs> You're looking extra lovely today. <laughs> red is really red. Really brings out the uh, hatred in your eyes. Well, I mean, I, I guess the frustrating part for me is the fact that. Yes, this is not 2008. But when we when we first started this podcast, we talked about things like we we talked about the Trump administration ad nauseum, correct? Yeah. Okay. Always. So my frustration was all over the place with the Trump administration, mm-hmm. but one of the things I was most frustrated about was the repeal of the Dodd-Frank. Mm-hmm. Right? Which the argument was, well, yeah, Dodd-Frank makes sense for the largest commercial banks, like these massive institutions, the ones that were deemed too big to fail. But they're too restrictive on the regional banks. The, you know, beyond the top 10 banks, the 15th, 16th, and, you know, 20th, and all those banks, those regional ones, those were the ones that needed to be saved. And so repealing that enabled them to go out and do more things. Well, herein lies the problem. Like, we are seeing it again. You repeal back regulations. Mm -hmm. And I got mad about it last time. And I'm looking at the largest banks in America. And and so we we talked about it on the other podcast, like with trains. Like, you, you repeal regulations, and this is what happens. Greed runs rampant. Dude, J.P. Morgan Chase is worth $3.31 trillion. Right. And so I understand that some are too big to fail and we need to... But in order to say it's too big to fail, we need to regulate the shit out of it so it cannot fail. <clears throat> right? Well, that's, it's that's too big sc- to fail. We need to make sure it doesn't. Well, that's a scary thing because like, you look at this and you say, okay... Bank of America is in, in charge of $2.41 trillion of Americans' monies. Yeah. Okay. So they can just take your money and gamble with it, basically. They can give it out as loans. They can do some fun investments. And it's not just with all of my overdraft fees from when I was young and yours from when you were unemployed. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the money they're gambling. What they're gambling with, like... And the, when I was young. I, yeah. I, I had even more when I was when I was young than when I was unemployed, even. Well, I'm just saying, like, the money that Anna and I were saving mm-hmm. to buy this house. Mm-hmm. They were taking that money. Even though it said it was there, like, electronically, it's like, oh, yeah, you have X amount of do- dollars in the bank. I mean, we did, but it wasn't just sitting in one place. No. Which is just so, like... What if you got someone who just really f- has a bad gambling day? Because that's what you're doing, basically, unless your name is Nancy Pelosi and you know what the, which way the market's going. <laughs> um, not to pick on Nancy. I know. She's not well. even the biggest the biggest offender anymore. Well, I'm just trying to be careful with my words, Brian. You, you always, you go, you go, you you always go after Pelosi, but you never go after Dan Crenshaw. Uh, fine. Unless your name is Dan Crenshaw. I think you take I, it easy Nick, on him because he's, he's... He's only got one eye. Yeah. And he's, he fought. He's, he's, he a, fought mili- for our, he's he fought a disabled for military veteran. <laughs> he fought for And you country. take it easy on him. But and all like, Nancy hey, Pelosi did was like... Equality. Hey, I'm from the Bay Area. G-Easy. What's the other one? E-40. <laughs> E-40, isn't that like the biodiesel fuel? No, you're thinking E-85. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, but like, what if you have a bad a bad day? Like, what? Like, how much... How much like, what do you think percentage-wise, win versus lo- or like gain versus loss, on a daily basis? What's the fluctuation for who? Someone like J.P. Morgan. I would say a few. Like, do you billion. think they're do you think they're risky? Fifty million? No, I'd say a few billion. What the fuck? Yeah, a few billion goes up. A few billion goes. I guess down. when you're dealing with trillions. But when you're a trillion, so that's what I'm saying. Like, that's like if you throw a twenty-dollar bill in your gambling machine versus a hundred-dollar bill. It's like oh, I got a hundred bucks. I can make $4 bets, but if you throw in 20, it's like I only have five bets if I lose them all. Right. Right. A, a few billion. And and so <laughs> we talked on it last podcast. We're going, right? Okay. 
We're so, going. Okay. Where are we going? Well, I didn't know if you. I I, I have some some takes that I want to make sure. This is raw, uncut footage right now. Okay. Or not footage, so, but whatever. So, the idea, though, of <clears throat> the million versus billion, and then billion to trillion. Yeah. Like, because you t- you said in the last podcast, it's like it, eleven days versus yeah. thirty-one years. Yeah. Yeah, and then to go to a trillion, that's got to be like the difference between eleven days and. Like two centuries. What is it? Like days? Like what if I saved a dollar every day? No, no, no. So, so it's every. So you're talking in terms of seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, seconds. Okay, okay, okay. So a million seconds is like eleven days or something. So if I saved a dollar a day from the time Charlie was born until the time he's thirty-one, I would have a billion pennies. Really. No, that's not right. <laughs> I don't think that's anywhere near it. Yeah, <laughs> math. <laughs> but I, I, so, so let me get this thing that I've been thinking about a lot out of the way mm-hmm. with SVB, and and so because I do want to get to the budget and stuff like that. So SVB obviously got bailed out. Yeah, and but it's not a bailout. Not not completely a bailout in the sense that like their business is basically defunct, mm-hmm. but depositors to stop the run depositors will be made completely whole so the fdic insures up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars per account in a bank the good old fedic so it used to be a hundred thousand they, they've since moved it up to two hundred thousand this started all the way back in 1945 ish with the fdr and, and the new deal era so or no it was before that that was world war ii it was one of the 10 years that FDR, 12 years that FDR was president. But the New Deal, all the, we, we called it alphabet soup because there was like the FCC, the SEC, the FDIC. Yeah. Right. So the FDIC protected the banks up to a certain amount. So there wouldn't be the bank runs that we saw in the depression area that really started, that, that kick started the depression. Um, the FDIC insured up to $250,000 more recently. Now, didn't it used to be a hundred k? Yeah, it used to be a hundred thousand dollars. When I, I would say, probably in the last ten years, that's changed because I remember as you know, an eighteen, nineteen year old putting money in the bank and it's saying, "Oh, we insure up to a hundred thousand dollars." I'm yeah. like, "Well, what happens to my money then?" And I was like, "Also, I'm never going to have a hundred thousand dollars." Who am I kidding? No, that's not true. Remember, vision board. Yeah. Uh so now it's two hundred fifty thousand. And they've decided to insure beyond that. Whatever your deposit is will be made whole by the, the the federal government. Now, they said it's not a burden on the taxpayers because this is something that other all the banks kind of chip into to make sure that we don't have anything like like the, the Great Depression. But that said, everything is backed by the Treasury, which is backed by the United States taxpayers. So I, I'm a little confused how this doesn't ultimately fall on the taxpayers. Should they Which have to backed make... backed by gold. Wait, what? No, we're not backed by gold anymore? No, but who, who are you talking about had a huge chunk of money in... Hulu. In Hulu. Yeah, Hulu had $450 million in one account. Which is a little bit more than 250000 So when they say, oh, well, we're going to make sure everyone's whole, the FDIC is prepared to jump in and... and but like there are other accounts probably similar to Hulu, maybe not as large, but there are probably some significant bank accounts that are well over the 250,000. This isn't like, oh yeah, a couple guys are at 300K, so we got to chip in an extra 50K here and there. I mean, you're talking millions and millions and millions of extra dollars on top of what was already supposed to be insured. Mm-hmm. And so my frustration is becoming this whole idea of bailing things out. These companies have no regulations or minimal regulations to keep them intact. And so what happens, Kevin, if you fail to make payments on your house? They'll come take my house away. They'll foreclose on you, and now the bank has seized it, correct? Yeah. So why is it that the government keeps bailing companies out with the people's money and the people get no ownership of it. 
you know, so, so I wish my I had thought an is, is for it. But. Why, and I understand that's that's how socialism works and stuff like that. And that's the thing. When these companies are too big to fail. But it's, the, social, it's socialism for the rich. This is the currently big, currently that's, that's yeah. the biggest problem yeah. I have because and I, I was saying I don't I don't think I was recording at this point but <clears throat> you're basically saying that like everybody will will insure you up to 250k but if you're like super really rich from Silicon Valley like okay well then we'll just bail you out entirely because are you gonna you know the house is a perfect example or even you can go down to like a car if you stop paying on it you're aft they'll repo the car. They'll foreclose on your house, basically taking it away from you. Actually, not basically. They are taking it away from you. Yeah. Um, and then they will try, try to sell it to somebody else. Um, but, like, if you're ultra wealthy and you have all of your money tied up into this one bank, they're going to go ahead and just say, oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll take care of you. Don't worry. Um, so, I mean, all I'm saying is, like, if this happens to, well, I bank with Chase. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Chase Same. would get bailed out. I'd be okay. Um, but what if it happens like a small little bank? Right. The community bank of Elmhurst. That's where I opened up my first account in the city of Elmhurst. It was a community bank. And we have a lot of those little community bank of Itasca, Palatine, like all these little community banks, you know, Blackhawk bank, uh, Poplar Grove bank. Like there's all of these little banks in these municipalities and then you go a step above that and you start getting into like the fifth third bank or like right. what was once first chicago like which these, is now chase yeah there were these regional banks that still are massive power players so they're above just the normal little community bank that does some mortgages and does savings account like th- these regional banks are starting to get really really big and manage billions of dollars overall and so I think to to remove regulations and all that, there has to be some sort of stipulation here. And this is why I'm 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 somewhat joking, but also kind of serious. Like, if a company is too big to fail, that's a and problem, it, and it needs the burden to be eased by the people of the country of the taxpayer dollars, then that should be able to be socialized. Meaning, when when a pharmaceutical company is being sued by you know the government for an opioid crisis and it decides to say hey i'm declaring bankruptcy well fine then we take over everything we get all your patents we get everything if if norfolk southern were to say go under then it should be taken over right It, it it should be left to fail or be taken over. Same thing with the bank. And I know people are like, Brian, you cannot nationalize a bank. That's going to destroy capitalism. I'm, I'm done with this whole, like, this is not how capitalism is supposed to work. Capitalism is supposed to work where if you fuck up your business, it's over. That's it. You know, and, and, and these people that say, well, you know, when, when people start businesses, they're taking all the risk. And that's why they deserve to be rich. No one's taking a, a massive risk. To start a business. I'm saying that point blank. The risk is you have to go back and work an hourly wage like the rest of us. Well, I wouldn't say that it's not a huge risk because you, if you're putting your life savings into something, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that that's, it's like... That's fine. You're putting your life savings at risk, but you're not going to jail if your business fails. No, 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 no. So when you say, oh, like... It's still a risk. There's, yeah, but... That's that's fine. The downfall of losing that business is I have to go find a job and work for someone else like the rest of the people. So when people are like, oh, the, 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 these billionaires, they took all the risk on. They were the ones that took on the risk. No, they didn't. There's no risk. The risk was they had to go back I think and, that you're, and... I think that you're oversimplifying. I think that there's definitely risk. I think to say that there's not a risk is kind of you're like... Ri- what, what's the risk, Kevin? Losing all of your money. Right. That's okay. a risk. That Okay. To say there's no risk, fine. But the risk is I have to go back and work for someone else. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Okay. But, but to, yeah. Okay. But I'm the not po- trying to get into semantics. I'm just saying, like, I don't want to downplay somebody's hard work. You know what I mean? I get it. You're talking about the billionaires that you hate so much. No, I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm like, talking about anyone. Like, when people like, say, oh, the business owner should get all of these breaks. Well, no, because that's, they, see, but that's not what I'm saying either. I'm just saying that. 
it's a I was just replying to that comment I see where you're going with it now right but I, I think that you downplayed it just a, a, a tad tad too much that's all no I still don't you lose your life savings you decided to risk that and yes there's some risk <laughs> no. I get it but I'm saying I just use the word risk to define no it. <laughs> no no but I know but what I'm yeah. trying to no, say right. what I'm communicating here yeah. is the idea that there's so much risk involved there's mm-hmm. really not. There is a fundamental risk of capital, but that's it. That's it. And so when people are like, oh, well, they took on all the risks, so they deserve all these different breaks and these opportunities for bailouts and all the... the, the, the I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. I've seen, like, I've, I've heard people say that, oh, they took on the risk, they deserve to get paid more. They, they deserve to make the millions and millions and millions yeah, of dollars. That's all I've... I've never heard somebody, like, say, oh, you, you deserve to be bailed out because you took all the risk. That no, makes no, no sense. No, that's me. that's that is the argument for capitalism, right? The idea is you you're the one that took the risk, big risk, big reward. There's not a big risk. You're risking money at the opportunity to never really have to 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 work the 9 to 5 grind for someone else. So while I understand like yeah, you're oh, I'm going to put my life savings at risk. That's I mean that's tremendous and and you might lose that 30,000 or 100,000 or whatever. But you're never going to have to work for someone again unless you fuck up or the business turns over and or a pandemic happens mm-hmm. and all that. So I'm not downplaying that. My problem is is the risk is that you have to go be a worker again. You have to go work for someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's not the worst thing. That's like saying all the rest of us who do work for someone else, God, I don't want to have to be them again. So like there's there's therein lies the problem. And so when when this capitalism model is starting to have all these cracks in the system, because we've deregulated so much over the last 40 years, all of the deregulation that allowed for all of this this rapid quote unquote innovation, but really just financial leveraging, we're in a really, really bad spot now. And so that's the frustrating part. And so whether, you know, people want to fault, oh, government spending, government spending. The reason we're in we're in this issue of inflation and 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 the middle the the middle class of America vanishing Mm-hmm. Is because of the deregulation of the capitalist machine. We took the reins off the horse and said go and expected it to race just how we wanted it to. And that's not what happens. You have to have the jockey on the horse to guide that horse to go as fast as it can. And instead, we just took the, the jockey and the reins off the horse and said go. And, it, and because it didn't run the race we wanted it to, we're confused. Like... How did we expect this to behave? Why Why is this unexpected? We saw it happen in 2008. We saw this happen. And this is the most frustrating piece. This is why I get very frustrated with so many aspects. You're frustrated right now? Yeah. No shit. With so many, with so many aspects about, about the American economy, about politics and stuff like that. And why I say certain things as if it's going to come true is because we watched patterns in history. We watch patterns in economics. And then what happens is we get greedy. We take those regulations down and it behaves the same way. So what did we expect? Do you think capitalism would work better if the regulations were higher? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Because, I mean, if I I really feel... Hit your microphone again, Brian, and see what fucking happens. (laughs) Control yourself, okay? The, The idea of democratic socialism... Right. Mm-hmm. Is the idea that you can be partially capitalist, right? You you should be able to invent things and, and make money. But A, you're 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 heavily regulated by the government. B, there's a strong taxation in order to benefit the greater good of the community. And so those two things act in a way that, hey, go go innovate, go create something amazing. But at the same time, you don't get to take advantage of society when shit goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what continues to happen here. And like you said, we're not a capitalist country. We're, we're a socialist country, but only for the wealthy. 
right? The wealthiest people pay the lowest effective tax rate. The corporations pay the lowest effective tax rate. The 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 restaurant that you work for probably pays higher taxes than some of those conglomerate restaurant groups, right? As an effective tax rate. Yeah. Now people always argue, well, the billionaires pay more in taxes. Yeah, by volume. They also have ninety nine percent of the wealth. So of course they should be paying more. So that's that's where the the big frustrating pieces of of all of this is for me is we know what's going to happen. So when like when people talk to me and they're like, "Well, you don't really know." I I yes, you're right. You cannot predict the future or you can make a prediction, but you don't know the future. That's just confirmation bias. But keep talking, you're good. But the idea here is we can predict with pretty good certainty and accuracy what's going to happen based off of previous situations. We knew that 2008 could happen because of 1929. We knew what is happening now. It only took six years for it to start to kick in. The repeal of Dodd-Frank and all those, those regulations happened in 2017. There's a two and a half to three year lag economically of any normal policy. And then, okay, so the, the lag happened and then we started to see the buildup, the over rev of the engine and it's redlining and now it's imploding, right? The same thing with the interest rates. Jerome Powell, you know, the chairman of the Fed, jacking up the rates at a rate we've never seen this was supposed he was appointed under the Trump administration. He should have been doing this in 2019 before COVID even happened. But Trump pressured him not to raise the Fed rate because Trump wanted to make sure that the economy was is, is booming in the stock market. He wanted to make sure that was his claim to fame. That was all he had. That was his big his big platform to step on. The stock market was doing better than ever. And it was, but Jerome Powell should have been pumping the brakes on the, on this economy years and years ago. And now instead he's doing it now. And I'm not saying it, he's not political. He's just trying to recover from what he didn't do four years ago. Well, now we're seeing it at a rate that's way too fast and who's going to pay the price. Elizabeth Warren was right, you know, grilling him as he testified before Congress. She was saying, like, you need to look the American people in the eye as they lose their jobs and tell them this is what's best for the economy. Because what's best for the overall economy is obviously going to be crushing the middle and lower classes. So is it really what's great for the economy? I don't think so. I don't think the the only way to fight demand or the, the way to fight inflation is to lower demand by making sure people aren't working. That's 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 a good system. That's what's working. People always ask when talking about socialism or you know communism or whatever, any other system besides capitalism, show me a system that worked. You show me a capitalist society that has worked. Because even America, there's homelessness, the healthcare the system is shit. The uh, what? No, go ahead. No, so the homeless the homelessness in America, the way we treat the elderly, the way we treat our education systems. You know, the, the wealth disparity in this country is is at a worse point now than at, like ever in history, but it has never been good. The way we've treated minorities, the way we've treated, you know, small, the 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 women in this country. You tell, you're telling me that capitalism has been working in America? No, it's been working for, for rich white men. That's it. So when people say socialism doesn't work, capitalism doesn't either unless you really, really regulate it. You don't think it's been working for rich people of all colors? I think it was a lot harder to get rich for people of all colors. Yeah. I mean, it's starting to. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it... I mean, it didn't, right? With no. Tulsa, Oklahoma, when when the black community started to thrive. Yeah, don't say anything about Tulsa. It's too close to Tulsa. <laughs> so okay, I'm I'm off my 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 soapbox, and we're out of time for today, guys. No, -uh. thank you so much for oh joining God, us. Shut up! I thought I thought you were serious for a second. I was like, did I just black out like Will Ferrell in old school? Mm. 
kind of. Let's see here. That says one hour? Yeah, that's because I started recording at the wrong spot. Oh, okay. You blacked out for like... 15 minutes. 20? 2025? So, any... Okay. Does anybody want to know know what I think about the whole SUV situation? Because like, you know... Not only this situation... Isn't that crazy where you can just like go an entire time talking and you don't get interrupted, Brian? (laughs) So, I went on my soapbox... We talked about the situation. I don't have any soapbox. I I, I really don't. Um, I think that the situation is is uh, yeah. I, I think it's it's history repeating itself. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. I mean, we we not a full clean slate, but we made it from like nineteen twenty nine until two thousand eight before we had another big uh oh. Well, no, the late seventies and eighties. That's true, but still, again, yeah, sixty years, sixty years, almost. You know, but it's getting less and less each time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the the big the best thing that we can do is when you're dealing with money like banks uh, do, especially at the volume at which um, they deal with it. Like I was saying before, you know, with Chase handling three point what was it three point three three one three point one trillion dollars. Bank of America is just behind them. Two point four one. Yeah. Do you have the numbers in front of you, or are you just like reciting this? I recited to try for to, when I saw what you your page said. Mm. 2.41 yeah you're right yeah all right brian how much for city group i didn't see city i only saw 3.31 <laughs> and 2.4 it's 1.714 trillion um what's wells fargo at? that's gotta be up there. uh 1.712 <laughs> wait uh, what's next hold on no i don't know what's next oh wait, no u.s bank corp oh really mm-hmm. pnc pnc was trying to pick up um Silicon Valley Bank, because originally they they opened it up and they they were gonna let another bank take over, um, but PNC backed out of it. It'd be a huge deal for them. Might get them up into that Wells Fargo range. Um, in as far as dealing with that kind of volume of money, um, but I think when you're dealing with that any any sort of trillions and billions of dollars, billions and trillions of dollars, I'll put that back in order for you. Um, I think that there should be regulations because, like I was saying before, you're basically just allowing a group to manage your money and do whatever the hell they want with it Um, and, you know, pay some dues so that if they lose all of your money, it's insured up to 250k. Um, So I think that banks should be regulated more heavily. And I've said this before on the podcast, but I think that... um, when it comes to businesses, I'm, I'm much more libertarian on things. Once you fail, you fail, you're done. Sorry. Uh, thanks for playing the game. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, I, I definitely don't think it's going to be as bad as 2008, but I do think that there's going to be some ramifications for this, and hopefully um, once Congress is done voting on Biden's budget for 2024, maybe they can pay a little bit of attention to this, make some more regulations, maybe bring back some regulations. Um, and stop allowing these these companies to be too big to fail. That shouldn't be a problem. So, I I'll I'll get out there and say, well, first off, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'll say with the Biden budget getting back into money and stuff, there are some some really key points that I think are very interesting and I like. But speaking of too big to fail, the American military getting another huge boost in the Biden budget really fucking bugs me. Because if you want to talk about accountability and the lack thereof, I don't understand how we can say we need to give them more money when they can't account for their shit for the last mm-hmm. five audits. Yeah. And that really that really bugs me. And this is bipartisan. It always passes in a bipartisan fashion for the military portion of any budget. You know what would have? Uh, I think, and I, I think I've known this since um, the creation of the Pentagon. Um, if they would have just made it a hexagon, they would have had one more side for the accountants. What do you mean? Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the biggest issue. Okay. Odd numbers are weird. 
Yeah, very hard to divide into five. Dude, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. They they didn't build the accountant's wing. So, so the idea, you know, when we started this podcast, we talked about an early budget. I don't it was obviously a, a Trump budget. Mm-hmm. And the r- ridiculous amount of billions of dollars that were going and the huge increase that had happened. Mm-hmm. And we were I think we were pissed that it would it went from like 740 to 770 something. Mm-hmm. And in the 2 years that you and I have been doing this podcast, it is now ballooned for the fiscal year. Biden wants to a little over 100 billion. Yeah, Biden wants to move it to 842 billion. Yeah. With a top line request of 886 based on or in base discretionary funding. So this is like when you when you are working for a company and you travel for them a lot and you're given a company credit card because there's obviously going to be expenses and you don't always know what they are so you don't know how much to allot for it. So you give your 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 traveling salesman a, a company card or your trade show guy or girl a company card. And they go all over and they spend money here, they get a per diem for food, they obviously have to get, sometimes get a rental car or get a ride to and from the airport, they have to buy the airplane tickets, so on and so forth. Um, but when you get back, you're expected to be able to account for all the money that you spent. Now, you know, most small businesses anyways, this is the only experience that I've had with it where I've had a company card, um, you know, they allow for like a oh, you spent $10 extra here, you spent 15 bucks extra yeah. here, and as long as you yeah. come up and just say, hey, you know, I got a snack at the airport. Yeah. Um, they'll be like, oh, yeah, no big deal. The discretionary slush fund for your travels were far less than the discretionary yeah, funding. Yeah, so, but, but what I'm saying there, or the point that I'm trying to make or get to is that um, I think we've given the government this company card, and we've allowed them to, okay, here you go, use this on making the country better for us, protecting us more, um, you know, getting us where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And we, the people, should be able to go to them and say, okay, I see that you spent $880 billion, we'll say, on, on military. What did I get for that? Yeah. Can you break down the expenses for me? And we should be able to get it because I've told this story before, but there's a, there's a, a person who started a, it's called Black Rifle Coffee Company. Um, and he's a, a military man, or a couple of military military men. And um, and their mission is really cool. I mean, they, they employ a ton of veterans yeah. um, and, and people, especially people that were, um, you know, injured in the line of duty. Um, but he, you know, the, the, the first guy who started the, the whole company, he, he tells this story about how he got all these things passed on his base. Like he brought, brought in like a $30,000 espresso machine, you know, and a, a high end grinder. So I'm, and I'm just telling you right now, a $30,000 espresso machine is no joke. Mm-hmm. That's all the bells and whistles. Um, and then some, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, especially when you can buy a really nice home unit, like a really, really nice home unit for like $3,200. So the fact that he was able to get this $30,000, you know, piece of equipment and not have to answer to anybody like that in and of itself kind of infuriates me. I mean, way to work the system, but like that's not your money to be playing with. If 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 we want to spend $880 billion on the on the military, I want some fucking spaceships. I want spaceships. <laughs> I want a fucking impenetrable force field around this country. See, I'm, I'm, well, that does sound great. I'm, I'm just saying if that money is, is, is allotted there, that's the kind of results I'm expecting. I, I, I think. As their boss. I think, for me, I think it's the workers that should be making more money then, right? And that, like, the soldiers, soldiers. more. Yeah. yeah, the soldiers should get paid more. We should ensure that the veterans that come back are taken better care of. Like, the fact, the fact that the, the, the was what, the PACT Act? took so fucking long and so much work and like John Stewart appearing before Congress, mm-hmm. all of that shit. The fact that it took so much effort with so much money going into the military is absolutely shameful. And so here we are again. And like I said before, I, I don't I don't need a full detailed rundown per se like Kevin's demanding. 
I just want you to be able to pass a fucking audit. That's yeah. it. Like when you're when you're a company that is worth billions of dollars, you spend millions of dollars getting audited every year, right? Yeah. You spend you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on consultants to come in and make sure that you're ready for an audit, and then you audit, and then you give your taxes, and then you get your all of that shit. The amount of money to to protect millions and millions and some billions that is going in to, to a a publicly held company or a large corporation it should pale in comparison to the amount of money being spent hiring good american citizens that are you know bright and and no accounting and corporate financing or whatever that can jump in and audit the Pentagon and make sure that the spending is being done correctly, not just post facto, but during. Like, here's 800 something billion dollars. Here's what we need to do with it. And not just this year or to cover last year, but let's look outward for the next five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. it, it baffles me. And the reason there's, there's no need for that accountability is the same reason that the fucking banks don't need accountability. They'll get bailed out. You went over budget? Don't worry. We'll ask the taxpayers for more money. We'll raise the budget. And then what happens? The Republicans come in and say, budget is just not looking good. Pat Kennedy came out, or uh, not Pat Kennedy, John Kennedy, the, the Louisiana senator who sounds like a five-year-old with a Southern drawl, he started talking about how the only way this budget would be improved is by going through a shredder because what does he want to do? He wants to raise the age of social security so people can't draw on it sooner. The fact that our social security age is in the low sixties and people want to start raising mid, it up mid sixties in 65. Right. The fact that we want to raise that up, is absolutely baffling to yeah, me. Yeah, his we whole story was that he wanted to, people want to work longer. Old people don't want to stay home. Well, yeah, no. So, so Kennedy just came out yesterday or two days ago and said the average life expectancy has gone up so much, which obviously he doesn't know statistics because our life expectancy went down for the first time in a long time as it would the only developed nation that had that happen. John Kennedy is saying, oh, we're, the life expectancy is going up. You can't expect us to not raise the, the retirement age. The fuck you can't. People have paid into this. People deserve the amount of money in this country. I just don't think people can wrap their heads around how much this country produces. The amount we have 300 in almost 20 million people. And you think of how many people are working and how many people are like you and I, Kevin, or, or so many of our listeners are just grinding away, doing the best they can to support their family, you know, have a life for themselves. And and now it's, hey, we might need to raise the retirement age. How about we take away the senator's pensions first, right? John Kennedy would change his tune if he said yours is the first money out. You need to you need to work till you're 80. Right. Mm -hmm. So so therein lies a, a massive problem for me is there's no accountability for the Pentagon in this defense budget. And without that accountability to say, hey, I understand you do need 40 extra billion this next coming year. Here's why. OK, no, it's because, oh, we overspent. And so we, we, we need that budget raised for next year. Why did you overspend? Well, we don't know because we can't pass a fucking audit. Okay, we're just going to raise it and say, well, we're patriots here in this country. We take care of our military. What for? What are we doing with it? I'm all for it. If it's to say, hey, veterans are going to get treated better. We're not going to, we're going to be more strategic in our military thinking instead of bum rushing, you know, Middle Eastern countries for oil. Like, I'm, I've got I'm an all idea. for it. I've got an idea. How about this? How about we, uh, some of that money goes towards any time that this this uh, the congressmen and women senators, uh, people from the House, they want to give themselves a raise. Obviously, it doesn't go into effect until was it the next year or is it the next election cycle? I think it's the next two years because it's usually an election cycle. Yeah, 
So anytime they want to give themselves a raise, that's fine, but that's what every soldier gets paid to. I'm down. Because what is it? It's 180000 Yeah. No. Is that what it is for a, for a senator? Yeah, it's 180. 180K. Cool. Let's start paying all Last I checked, I don't know. No, I think that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 100% positive that's what, that's what you and I said last Unless time. Unless they're like the whip or the speaker or whatever. They get a little bit more, yeah. They get more. Yeah, it's like being a boss. Committee leaders, et cetera. Yeah, that's fine. But then, okay, cool. 180K per soldier. Because you know what? Yeah, obviously these congressmen and women are going out there and they're trying to do the right thing for our country. Very few of them actually are, in my opinion. But you're not laying your life down on the line or putting your life on the line. Right. You know what I mean? Going to another country. Right. You know, sitting in another desert trying to get some more oil. Right. That's fine. Pay them 180. Are we okay? We're not going to have me fight. All right. On the that. bill's passed. <laughs> so unanimously. So, so another Suck thing. Suck it, Congress. Another, we just did that in like five minutes. Another, another thing to go back and, and not to to get back on the soapbox of the SVB thing and, and now the the defense spending. But why is it so simple to come up with money for these massive corporations slash banks, industries like the the flight industry, the, the airplane industry? It's so easy to come up with money for the car industry. It's so easy to come up with money for the defense spending. But the moment we start saying, hey, we're going to eliminate ten to $20,000 of student loan debt, it goes to the Supreme Court and might get overturned. How is it so simple to find money for these massive corporations, but so, so difficult to find money for the middle and lower social classes in America? There's my big issue. Right? So Biden, oh. Biden... Is going to try and do some things. What? I'm just glad. I'm funny, Brian. Oh. You said right, and I said wrong. Oh. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. Oh, you get to do that about Trump, and I get fucking basically mercilessly ridiculed and yelled at for fucking making a Biden joke this afternoon? <laughs> oh. Okay. So Kevin texted me, and it was it was funny. It was a good impression. It was yeah. He was going in on, on Joe Biden, and I, I know we were... See, I wasn't no, going in No, you were going in on him. You no. were going in on him. There was like four straight jokes about Biden, and I didn't understand where it was coming from. Like, I thought, oh, did he have a speaking engagement that no, I watched, motivated Kevin to, like, make fun of... I watched the you know, full 45-minute thing that he did in Pennsylvania. Okay, so, and so I had a whole lot of Biden going in my head. Okay, now that makes sense. And so and, I and texted so, Brian. I said, I, I've got an idea for a Joe Biden drinking game. I'm going to bring a little bit of levity to the situation okay. because it's been a whole lot of, uh, you know, stress. <laughs> so I said, Brian, I've got an idea for a Joe Biden drinking game. Take a sip when, when he says, oh, by the way, or when he says, and another thing, a shot when he mentions that he's from Scranton, a shot when he says, this is no joke. And then I said a shot when he goes from very quiet to very loud. Uh, a shot when he asks. You the said when he goes from loud to quiet. Or loud to quiet, sorry. Uh, See, I memorize your text too. My God, I love you. Yeah, you're just trying to make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> shot when he asks the crowd how many of them have done something or have had something happen to them. And then I, here's my quote from to Brian. I said, and this is my impression via text of somebody interviewing Joe Biden and says, Mr. President, what are you going to do if the groundhog says there's going to be another six weeks of winter? Joe Biden's response would be, well, here's the thing, people. A lot of you may not know this, but I'm from Scranton. And my daddy always used to say, Akuna Matata, which, <laughs> see, <I'm> making... <laughs> which means something about no worries. And here's another thing. I'm the most pro-union president out there that there's ever been. And the union knows a thing or two about making someone disappear. This is no joke. Just ask Jimmy Hoffa if you can find him. And here's one more thing. I'm not sure I could do, or I could, I'm, or here's one more, thing, one more thing. I'm sure I could have the union do something about that groundhog. No joke. I'm not kidding. I mean, how many of you have been in a situation where it's winter and you don't want it to be winter anymore? And that's why I'm slashing the deficit and creating more jobs than the MAGA Republicans. <laughs> So you can understand when I see this, I'm like, 
That is like that could be a direct quote. Well, it's a very good impression. I was just at a loss why you were going in so hard on him. And I was like, did he just – now it even makes more sense because you're like, I watched 45 minutes straight of him talking. Oh, and yeah. I can understand the, the kind of loosening of the bolts that happens in one's brain after listening to any politician, but specifically our last oh, yeah. two presidents, is baffling. Well, this is after I spent a solid um, – God, I think I only made it through about 45 minutes or an hour of uh, Janet Yellen um, – doing like or speaking to congress being the witness to congress for joe biden's new budget okay um and that was hard to get through because first of all it's like i, I do feel like from what i saw most of the most of the um most of the representatives were somewhat nice i don't think that the uh, the chairman was what's it? it's it's uh smith i think from missouri yeah um he was kind of a douche um but even, surprise. But so, like, I, for me, that's the frustrating part about watching something like that is um, not only am I frustrated with, like, the, the line of questioning it sometimes, but I'm also more frustrated with the answers that she's giving because there's so many things, like, you know, uh, Representative Smith was basically saying that he just wanted her to um, guarantee to him that she would make sure that, you know, everyone in the IRS knows about the whistleblower hotline where they can come talk to Congress. Um, and she wouldn't, she wouldn't say yes, we'll tell them. Mm-hmm. She, she just kept saying, oh, well, we'll let them know about all of their options. He said, and he, it was a very simple question. Okay, but cool. Are you going to tell them about like, you know, the, the opportunity they have to come to speak to us, mm-hmm. um, and everything that we have set up for whistleblowers. And I was just kind of disappointed that she couldn't be like, yeah, sure. I'll tell them, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and it was a lot, it was a lot of situations like that. It was, um, honestly, it was easier to listen to Joe Biden, um, talk about his budget very loosely. I mean, it was definitely like an outline. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting and controversial parts, not for you and I, but for pundits and, and the speaking heads on both sides, is the idea that in order to fund this and start reducing the deficit, so the $6.8 trillion budget, we kind of buried the lead, the $6.8 billion or trillion dollar budget. The idea is to begin reducing the deficit. And I think over time it should reduce the deficit by over a trillion dollars or something like that, or over the life of it, it will reduce a trillion dollars. Yeah. The idea here is how would he fund some of the things that are additionally good? So not only the defense, but there's some other things that I want to get to, but the way that they would uh, create more revenue is by taxing the corporations and ultra-rich at a higher level again. So there would be a quote-unquote billionaire minimum tax. So there would be a tax of at least 25% on total income for Americans whose wealth exceeds $100 million. And the, the idea of both the corporate and, quote, you know, billionaire taxes, they would be on realized and unrealized gains. So you would be taxing people on, or well, it's not realized gains. Hold on. It was, it had something to do with They're basically. They're so rich they don't realize when they're making money? It's the capital gains, right? So the the gains of, of your investments where you didn't really create a service or anything you just invest it and then you get though that's taxed at a lower rate than income and that's why I like that uh the icelandic guy that had the fight with elon and him getting paid i think it was like 100 million dollars he chose it as an income over time rather than with capital gains because capital gains is only long-term capital gains i think is only 20 percent so your long-term gains being only a 20 percent is a much lower rate than the highest tax bracket, which I think is now at like 37%. So the idea here is to raise that. And then also for the corporate tax, it would go from 21 to 28%. I think these things are not even aggressive enough to start rebalancing the American economy, 
but it's certainly a step in the right direction if that's how they're able to change the way people live in this country for the better then i'm all for it you know there's a lot of good things to protect medicare and medicaid and social security in this budget there there's so much talk on the republican side about insolvency for for medicare and and social security so the idea of protecting those things by ensuring that we are taxing people properly is is something i'm a big fan of but our the the pushback from the right is already happening so the likelihood of this budget ever passing seems pretty daunting pretty pretty unlikely but the one last thing that I want to bring up was the child tax credit. Mm-hmm. Increasing it. Increasing it from 2000 to 3000 per child and 3600 for, for anyone under, under, yeah, six, under yeah. 6. And that makes a significant impact on the middle and lower social classes. And if you think about it, one of the big issues for any major developing country right now is we're starting to see a decrease in population growth, right? China's been seeing it for, for what a decade now, and it's going to, it's starting to have the ramifications and it will be the same Uh, for the United States. We're starting to see a slow down in population, even though the numbers had grown so, so, so rapidly over, over the last few decades, you know, the, the millennial and Gen Z populations are like, I can't bring a kid into this. I can't afford it. And so they don't, you know, obviously there's unplanned pregnancies, but there's a lot less planned pregnancies where people are like, yeah, I just can't, I can't swing it. I can barely swing a dog, right? I can barely swing a cat. And you want me to bring a child into this world and, and, and go to college and spend astronomical amounts of money on loans and, and bury myself. And, and now I'm going to live longer but retire later like how do i live in a, in a world like that and it really starts with prioritizing things like this giving better tax breaks to individuals for for their family and so i think i think this is a really really good thing but it was it's getting pushback yeah i'm surprised you didn't bring up the quadrupling of the stock buyback tax oh and also yeah. i'm surprised that you didn't bring up the the insulin uh, cap the cap yeah. yeah so that's interesting because it's capping it at $35 right mm-hmm. okay yeah so that's interesting because we just saw Eli Lilly was it Eli Lilly the the guy that I always forget his name but he's kind of a douchebag oh and, no 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 no, no and not, kept taking the fifth no 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 not, not that the Eli Lilly that was the, the EpiPen com- my yeah, bad the yeah Shreckle Martin Shreckle I think his name was it's a good last name for him yeah the Bernie Sanders pressured um, I think it was Eli Lilly. And that was also when Twitter first, yeah, when Twitter first started doing the whole, like, you can buy your blue check, check mark. Someone created an Eli Lilly account, got a blue check mark, so it looked like Eli Lilly, and said, I'm capping all all insulin costs at $35. And their, their, their stock tanked, right? And so there's external pressure there was governmental pressure and all that that eli Lilly recently came out and said we're going to cap all insulin costs at 35 dollars that's after insurance so i think even if you don't have insurance you can get it for 35 dollars. i don't know but basically it'll be billed to your insurance and all that um at whatever cost but your out-of-pocket cost would only be 35 dollars a month but i think this is securing that Rather mm-hmm. than just saying, oh, we're going to trust the corporation to regulate itself. Yeah. They're not. So that's a really good idea. No. And, and getting rid of the buybacks, I think, is one of the biggest things. I don't think. It's not, it wasn't getting rid of it. it no, was it's just quadrupling the tax. tax on it. Yeah. yeah and, and so I don't think that's enough. I think they should tax it so fucking hard that it never happens. Period. There's other ways to make shareholders rich. And that's by empowering your employee base to get paid better create retirement plans, make people want to work there, work harder, work better because they're taken care of better. And now all of a sudden your product gets better. You're, you, you source more innovation. You dump money into R&D for your products and your services. You dump money into the company itself rather than its shareholders. And then the share goes up 
as it should. Not in like record amounts, but it still goes up. And that way people's 401ks are protected better than the situation we're in right now. You know, I mean, on a really good note, like they, uh, one thing that they did is they, the same sort of increase they did for the military budget. Um, they did, you know, in, invest uh, more money into high poverty schools. They upped that by $2 billion. Oh, that's really good. I didn't actually. Brian, that's that. making a joke. That's not where, that's nowhere near as much. Um, I'm just glad they did anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of great stuff in here. There's there's um, just a couple of things that you not that you missed, but that you didn't highlight. Yeah. Well, there's a lot I didn't yeah, highlight. Yeah. The, the, um, the border the border patrol additional money. Mm-hmm. Investing in American manufacturing. There's going to be uh, 375 million dollars of the budget uh, going to the National Institutes of Standards and Technology. Um, I mean, anytime they can they can innovate more here in America and do more here. In America, as far as keeping businesses here, is a, is a good thing for us. Uh, so they're 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 spending forty million dollars to combat fentanyl trafficking, mm-hmm. right? Did you know that eighty six point two percent of fentanyl trafficking offenses are American citizens? Like everyone's like, it's arrested, the but I think I think the largest amount of fentanyl comes from China. But I'm just saying, yeah. 86.2%. The fuck, China? 86.2% yeah. of the trafficking offenses are created by American citizens. Yeah. Well, that's because they don't have police in Mexico and China to protect over there. What? No, I'm just saying 86. Because you're saying that most uh, the people, the number of people that are arrested for it, yeah, here in America are, are so like well, the idea is it's the illegal immigrants that are no, coming over no, no, the border. No, 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 that's people, not what I'm saying. Right? At all. No, I know yeah. not you. The point I'm making, it's not you, it's me. No, <laughs> the point I'm making, right, uh-huh. is all the people coming across the border are these drug traffickers and all that, and 86.2 percent. Of all drug trafficking charges related to oh, fentanyl okay, okay, okay. are Bring actually into American the citizens. Yeah. And so the other thing, there was um, it's a good point. Th- there's Brian, a picture. If you, uh, there's if you wear a, a hat, you'll cover it right up. The big, the picture, the picture of the Charlottesville protest, I guess you would say, but basically that white supremacist movement in Charlottesville that had all the issues, right? Mm-hmm. There's a picture. One of the guys in the foreground of that picture is actually a guy that got charged with like 30 counts of fentanyl trafficking. Sick. Anyways, um, with that said, I, I think border security is something that does always need improvement. But, man, they are spending so much money. And and $15.3 billion proposed for customer customs and border protection in, in the fiscal budget for 2023. It's a lot of fucking money. And like, what, what's, what's the takeaway, right? What, what do we, what, what's the outcome? I think there's obviously an issue with border security, especially as we just saw some, uh, Americans that were killed in Mexico and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that with related to the cartel. And of course, like the cartel is definitely an, an issue, but how is it, how is the money spent? That's, that's the biggest thing for me. That's how is it all spent? How, you know, and then, and then you see like the drug money that was used back in the day, like in the eighties, like we know Reagan f- used drug money to fund the Contras, right? So when they say they're spending like forty billion dollars on fentanyl trafficking, right? Are they? Are that's they? Probably for, is it to uh, capture the fentanyl and then like ship it back and start peddling the drugs in in China or something? Or like, w- what are they doing with it all? Well, a lot of it's not actually when they seize like drugs itself; it's when they seize money from drugs. Right. That's where they. That, I think that's where the contra money came from. Google it, Brian. Check it out for me, buddy. I I know is. It was probably seized money. It probably wasn't drugs that were sold. If it was, I mean, great job. It's like everything else we do here in America to the nth degree. I like how they didn't put a price under, like, it's because one of the things that's in the budget, too, is support Ukraine. Um, and there's, there's, there's no price tag there. 
go, 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 go gadget. 2.7 million, Jesus. So 34 million from third, third world, or from third countries. So they, they arranged the funding and military supplies by means of third countries and private sources. But how mm. did they do it? I know Congress in 1986, Congress approved a hundred million dollars in funds from the from for the Contras. Yeah, they sent over non-lethal aid. Jeez. CIA. Well, okay, CIA. Well, you know what? Let's move on. We can do that another time. No, it's okay. I still I still want to do an entire podcast on the Reagan administration. That'd be fun. That'd be like a two-parter, I feel like, though. Because <laughs> um, we're already at an hour now. Yeah. Um, one thing before the hour's out, I want to share something that I've been really enjoying. That nice. Ho- hopefully this will uh, be something that everybody else can enjoy, too, because a lot of my YouTube feed is filled up with, like, um, history now. I've been getting on this history kick again. Um, and one that I've found, because, like, a lot of the times when you're watching, like, historical um documentaries or short little clips on on youtube or wherever um it can be a little bit monotonous to listen to like all the way through you're like okay cool like whether it's the narrator or whatever well i just found out that chris DeStefano, i knew that he was a big history buff um, oh yeah 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 like big time yeah. loves history can yeah. tell you anything about history well he started doing these little like 10 minute videos on like certain topics and every, you can comment and like, and tell him what you want to hear on the next one. Nice. And so I've been watching these little history as told by Chris DiStefano <laughs> and it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Cause he tells it like he's doing a comedy bit. Right. And like, obviously there's like, you know, like he's talking about there's one, tone. Yeah. yeah. Like there's, he's talking about the revolutionary war. Um, and like he says that like, um, uh, George Washington, or as they call them on the battlefield, 21 Savage. Like, obviously there's some fabrications, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 but yeah. for the, for the most part, it's, uh, it's very factually accurate. So if anybody wants to brush up on their history and, uh, have a little fun while you're at it, it makes it easier for me to remember. Yeah. Um, just want to share that. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Anytime, you know, I mean, it, it goes all the way back to like schoolhouse rock. Like they made it fun and like engaging with song right and in rhyme to somehow get people to buy into well how does a bill get made right so i'm just they a bill just left out the, well they left out the part about like all the corporate donors well yeah so <laughs> but uh, i love anytime or or drunk history right oh, drunk obviously history is absolutely obviously there's a lot of fun and and but it still gets people to understand some of the historical relationships or c- certain events that had happened and then maybe inspire people to to look up something else. So this is no different. It's great to hear that he's doing that. I actually really like him as a comedian. I think he's pretty. Oh, I think pretty he's. Talented. I think he's. I think he's awesome. He's he's one of my favorites right now. He's not like, I, I wouldn't say he's the goat. I think that would be like George Carlin. Oh yeah, George Carlin's the best. Yeah, sorry Dave Chappelle, but Dave Chappelle's not even close. Richard Pryor, George Carlin are probably the top. Yeah, I have to really think about that. I mean, definitely for me, the number one spot goes to George Carlin. Yeah. I think he was just, he was brilliant. He was ahead of his time. It's kind of like listening to comedians talk about him is like listening to 90s basketball players talk about Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like the way they talk about him, they're like, there's no one close. Yeah. No one. I still think Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time in basketball. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, and I, I think, okay, not to digress too much as we're wrapping up here. But Michael Jordan said it best. You know, you can't compare. You couldn't compare him to Wilt Chamberlain, right? They're different generations, mm-hmm. and you can't compare Michael Jordan to to LeBron. LeBron James because they they never really played each other. And even Kobe Bryant and Jordan, like Jordan was on his way out. You know, yeah. Kobe was just getting started, so they never like played each other in their primes. Like, you know, that Michael Jordan was better than than Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Like, you saw them in their primes fight, and actually Jordan wasn't even in his prime yet, and he was beating them. So, like, there's a difference. Yeah. Um, you, could just say, so you could say the same thing about boxing with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah. There's just different generations. I still think he's the greatest of all time. I'm not, I'm not well, I, like, I know Muhammad Ali and Frazier yeah. and Foreman, and, and I know all the names, but I never, I've never really watched and, and cared to, 
to get yeah. too involved in boxing. Another, another guilty pleasure of mine is watching old interview clips of Muhammad Ali. Oh, he was a great interview. The best interview that I saw with him, it wasn't even him. It was, you know, he was, you know, pretty far down the line at that point. But with Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson oh, yeah, just yeah, yeah. deferring completely, saying, no, this guy was the best ever. Yeah. He would have pummeled me. Yeah. And, like, the the humility that Mike Tyson has displayed later in his life mm-hmm. really, for me, like, redeems all of his. Oh, dude. His, Imagine what ha- it's amazing what happens when you start eating mushrooms by the handful. <laughs> he's really big into, like, psychedelics. Microdosing and stuff like nah, that. No, not Well, he's, like, macrodosing at this point. I get yeah. you. Yeah, he's like Joey Diaz is with, with smoking weed. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyways. Budgets. Budgets. SVB. <laughs> Good job, Brian. Good job, you, Kev. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even talk about the... Yeah, I'm looking through. We didn't get a chance to talk about the Ukraine or China aspects of the I budget. Brought up, I brought up Ukraine. Did you? Yeah, okay. you were looking up the Contras. Oh, okay. And yeah, I said there's no, there's no number next to the budget. I'd like to know how much they're talking about spending there. Yeah, affordable health care. They're expanding... Affordable rent, that's something that needs to change too. See, that's another thing in this country that needs to change is housing. Yeah, there's a big thing about housing in it. Like housing has to be, like we need to start building more housing that is rent controlled or easier access to buying. Not, um, I think it was like 200, no. 159 billion. 59 billion. Mandatory funding and tax incentives aimed at increasing affordable housing supply. The budget also includes $10 billion in mandatory funding to incentivize state, local, and regional jurisdictions to make progress in removing barriers to affordable housing developments, such as restrictive zoning. Boom. So lots of lot there there is a lot of good in this in this budget. You can find it all at whitehouse.gov. You can literally type in Biden budget. And find more uh, increases in food security. So Jason will be happy about that, although he'll probably argue, and I, I would argue as well, that it's still not enough. But a lot there is a lot there that I think is empowering the middle and lower social classes of America. And I think it's really beneficial to the normal American family. The idea of the white picket fence, I'm going to buy my own home and have a yard and grow a family, is just almost, it, it's nearing impossible it's not impossible but it's nearing impossible these days and so we want to make it accessible for for all americans to to have a good life and not work till they're dead so yeah don't work until you're dead all right Moral of the story. Do good, be great.